started. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the fact that You are sovereign, that You are on the throne. And Father, as we think about um, just our time together um, this morning, Father, I ask that You would be glorious in our midst. I ask that You would be lifted up in our midst. I ask that You would be exalted in our midst. And Father, as we think about where we stand in this world, in this time, um, this season, um, Father, we, um, as we're going to even hear in Joel this morning, Father, we stand in the shadow of the last days. And uh, Father, we ask that uh, as men and women who seek to please You and walk with You, that we would be men and women who are preparing our hearts for difficult things that You are going to call us into because of Your glory. And, and that, Father, we ask that as we go through our time together this morning, that You'd be um, heavy in our hearts in a way that would allow us to understand how to navigate those trials and those situations and circumstances and uh, challenging relationships, Father, in a way that honors You and glorifies You and, and does it in a biblical way that causes us to be a testimony of Your grace um, uh, in front of a watching world. Father, we ask that You would take what's what we cover this morning, Father, and that You would emblaze it in our hearts in a way maybe we've never seen it before, that You would transform our thinking, that You would transform our actions, so that they would align ourselves with Your purposes and Your will in our lives. Father, we ask that um, You would be um, use Your Spirit this morning with the Word of God to accomplish Your purposes. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to welcome you to our time uh, uh, together. Um, we are um, we have finished the introduction of First Peter and uh, the salutation, and uh, we are now mo- have moved into um, chapter one, verse three, um, through verse chapter two, verse ten, uh, which really Dave kicked off and started with verses three through five last couple weeks, and. Uh, um, we've entitled that uh, "So Great." A, we have so great a salvation. Well, when you think about like what we've just looked at and talked through, um, what that is is Brad and Lindsay Sturm's letter that uh, came out this week um, from a real live situation that's happening in their lives in Mexico. And I, I would have to say that um, uh, whether we know it or not, or whether we're aware of it or not, the same kind of thing is happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ or throughout the whole world. Um, we just don't get a chance to see it and hear about it every single day. Uh, Brad and Lindsay went to Wheaton Academy um, with uh, Brianne, and uh, um, Brianne and Michael are very good friends of theirs. They've been down there to visit their ministry, and uh, this came obviously um, as a shock. Um, so, as we think about this um, letter, um, talk to me about some observations you can make both from the letter and from your life as it pertains to the nature of trials. If, if we looked at this as an anatomy of a trial in our life, w- what are some observations you would make? Throw them out real loud. Mm. Somebody persecution a yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So, you would call it out as one, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Good. Others. Trial, like Brad just allowed, got, thought God uh, magnified the work that God was doing in his life magnified. You know, you can go that way, or you can go the other way, where it's like, well, why me and all of this? But what a letter that you know God's hand, the work of his hand 
breath, like as he's said, time and time again. It's like throughout the whole letter that way, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 you don't write those things down unless you believe in your heart that they are that way, because that is a fully counter countercultural, counter natural, supernatural way of thinking about just stuff, right? I mean, isn't it? Yes. Okay. What, what other things? Also, observations. Is, you know, God is a total control. And or what? And, and doesn't he state that like two or three times throughout the whole letter? You, you see it kind of emblazoned in multiple places. What else? Yeah. I just appreciate that tension. Struggles with what could I mean? I love the paragraph on page three. If I could pray for these men, I could be like them. I feel the same way. If without God's Amen. grace, I could hold the gun to someone's head easily. It's only because of God I have the same sin nature that you do. Amen. So. Really puts us in alignment with what other things. Finding fire, I got to believe Brad's faith is stronger now. That it was. Not that he would have wished it, but he went trial that refined him. Amen. And I don't know about you, but you know, I, I think about my own life, and I think about the um, kinds of things that God has done the greatest work in in my life. And I would have to attest to the fact that that is always through pain and challenge in my life. Almost always. I mean, I, maybe 90% of the time, right? I mean, it's, it's that God is glorious in the midst of our um, being broken, right? And in the midst of our uh, aligning ourselves with His purposes and His will, not mine and my kingdom. What else? Yeah. You know, those kind of things. Now there's more. It doesn't stop, or does it? Yeah, it's going to continue. Yeah. What else? Sometimes you up in the middle of the night and your sleep is disturbed and that reaction is to whine about it. Mm. But woman, who, where was she? Oregon, Oregon, yeah. Her gut reaction was to, pray about to <laughs> hear God's whisper in the night and pray and that God's doing a long ways away from where they were. And um, just that's amazing. And I've heard stories like that before, yeah. so that's amazing. It's not always we were able to connect those two dots up, right? right. But, but how glorious was it that God allowed that to occur. Okay, what else? There's two over there, if you guys want to grab them. What else? Yes, Nancy. Uh, every, every trial that you encounter, it's a little one, then another little one. It's all your rungs up the ladder to God. I love that because God never calls us to a higher ladder that he hasn't prepared us for the rung before it. And I think that's really important for us to understand about the nature of trials. God has prepared, you see that right through that, right? He says, I mean, just literally the day before he's preaching about it, right? And he, he attests verbally to this issue. <laughs> I love what Michael gave him counsel on, right? What was it? <laughs> Maybe you want to give a better illustration next time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, um, we're going to get into some of these other um, uh, questions here that you have struggled with in the opening session from the time we got together in our small groups. So um, what I'd like to do is, is uh, quickly walk you through where we've come from, where we're at, and then talk about where we're going today. Um, so <clears throat> this was, if you remember from Dave, Dave um, took and uh, uh, gave a, a very good understanding of, of mapping out First Peter 3, 1, uh, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And uh, 
I'm not going to go through all the detail, but the blue line, dotted line, is where we're drawing the line, where I'm starting, where he left off. But what you, when you kind of say, okay, what was the so what of his portion on the top part here? Again, thinking about this diagramming, right? It was these things on the right-hand side, which is that we have so great a salvation. It's been prompted by God's great mercy. It's been accomplished through our new birth. It's protected by God's incredible resurrection power. And number four is that it's evidenced by our faith. And we're going to talk more about that today. When we talk about salvation's vantage point, a key chart that he showed us last two times, okay, was this one, which was um, when we look at situations and circumstances and suffering, um, I'll call it trials in our life, okay, we, we cannot see what he called the so great of salvation. And said, instead, what he said is, um, we need to look through um, the window of verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter as we prepare on the, uh, uh, to, to enter into trials. And how do we do that? It's, it's literally around seeing it, uh, everything that comes our way through, through a grid that is this so great a salvation, this inheritance that's laid up before, uh, for us uh, in heaven. And, and we're going to talk more about that also today. Um, along with that, um, some realities that lead us to worship, how he closed last time, was that um, there are um, five specifics. First of all, God's great mercy, this new birth, work of the new birth, God's, raising, uh, God's power in raising Jesus from the dead, that resurrection power. Um, number four was God's promise of a guaranteed inheritance. And number five, God's working, work in securing our inheritance. So these five things usher us into worship, and that's how we finished last time, if you remember, was literally attesting to God's great uh, 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 accomplishments in our life. Um, and we kind of wrote those out, remember, and then we prayed all together. Each person prayed to the things that they could attest to of the greatness of God in our lives, right? How, how cool was that? That was just an awesome way to close out our time. So um, what I want to do is um, I tried to entitle our time together in chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 9. It, it started off with our joy is being proved through God's trials. And then I came to, um, when I used a different word here, but when life really stinks and nothing makes sense. Um, but I've really landed in, a, in the last one here, which is when our joy is tested. When our joy is tested. And that will be the title of the theme of part one, part two, part three for this week, next week, and, be, and, and the third week that we'll have. So the, the learning objective of today, um, you can find this on your second page of your outline there if you want to take notes, is that we would learn uh, the very nature, the true nature of what trials are today. Number two, that we would be able by knowing that be able to assimilate or learn how then should we respond biblically? How should we respond biblically to trials? So that we would have a view of the nature, true nature of them, and that we would be able to respond biblically. If you remember the backdrop, the backdrop of what we're doing in First Peter is that Peter was writing to believers, Jews and Gentiles, across Asia Minor, right, who were prepared, he knew and had been told by the Holy Spirit, needed, he needed to prepare them for this fiery ordeal that is about to come upon them. Right? Remember? Yeah? And, and, and we said that the, the, the connection to us today was that God had um, really 
laid heavy on my and Dave heart, Dave's heart that, that, that there may be coming a similar time and maybe is starting to be upon us in this world. And, and if we do not prepare our lives, our hearts, our people to navigate trials with excellence, then, then we, will, we will stumble and we will not be prepared the way we need to be to be the light that God wants us to be when this happens here. Okay? So the three weeks that we're going to cover is today the nature of trials and our response to trials. Um, Next week will be, um, I'll call it possible outcomes. I mean, Peter lays out the outcomes that we should have, but I'm going to call it possible outcomes because you know and I know answering the last question on that questions was what? My experience doesn't always line up with what it should be, correct? And, and the question is, is how can it? So, so it's not always going to be the outcome, but let's talk about what the outcome should be and will be if we navigate it well. Again, outcomes are part of how we do the process, right? That's, that's the outcome. So we want to be able to understand if we want this outcome, then how do we come back and navigate it well? Okay. And then, then we have Easter. We won't have a quip hour that week. And then we're we'll spend some time on conclusions. God, uh, God, in His sovereign spirit, has laid out First Peter in such a way that, that, that verses 6 through 9 that we're covering this week, next week, and then week after Easter, literally are, are the summation or the culmination of the message that Peter had to them. Dave walked us up to the be ready for it, and verses 6 through 9 are like hitting the ball. Okay, And so that's kind of, if you think about where we're at. Um, would... Uh, Cheryl, would you really loudly read, read verses 6 to 9 here? Once, you for a little while, you have been distressed by various trials, proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which tested by fire, may down to result in praise and glory of Christ. Though you have not seen him, love him. Though you do not see him now, but rejoice with joy, inexpressible, and full outcome of your faith. Amen. Well, the blue part is what we're going to cover today. Uh, next week we'll cover verses 7 through 9, I think. <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and then the following week we'll talk about conclusions, okay? So the nature of trials. Nature of trials. Even though, for now, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. I want to first talk about the timing and the length of trials. Timing and length of trials. Trials are now. Isn't that true? I mean... I mean, I can't look forward and look out there, but I know when I'm in a trial. I know it's hit me and it's on my doorstep. And so trials are now, but the great news is trials won't be forever. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a great promise? Trials won't be forever. And so um, they'll, they'll only be in this life. Uh, trials are for a little while, he says here. He says, even, now, even though now, for a little while... Even though now, for a little while, um, until my perspective. Uh, first of all, let's uh, turn to First um, Peter five verse ten. First Peter five verse ten. We're going to hit a number of verses as we go through our time together today. So get your fingers going. Somebody who whoever's got First Peter five verse ten, would you read it out loud for everybody? After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ, shall perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So God, God gives the Holy Spirit, um, uh, gives Peter information through the Holy Spirit that says, okay, after you have suffered. 
for a little while, or for a little, the God of all grace will remove you, take you out of these situations. I would suggest is one view of that verse. I would suggest the other view of that verse is, even now, for a little while, the God of all grace will actually use that situation in your life to accomplish these things. Okay? So, when I think about this, that little while is, first and foremost, I think in this life, is really about until my perspective of being distressed is over. (laughs) Because I, I may not be removed from the situation, but if my distress is over because of the trial, because of what we're going to talk about this morning, all of a sudden now God can strengthen, establish, confirm my soul in the midst of it. And it may not even have changed, but God is doing a work in me as a result of understanding a broader context than that situation that I'm navigating right now. Okay, Psalm 30, verse 5. Somebody want to hit that? For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may take, but joy comes with the Amen. Joy comes for the morning. One of the, one of the greatest encouraging verses there ever was when a person's entering into a deep trial. The second part of for a little while is for a season. For a season. The scriptures usually talk about this life as a season. As a season. Here today, gone tomorrow. So it's until this life is over. Romans 8.18. Somebody got rid of that? It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared for the gl- with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, verse 23, And not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.17, somebody got that one? So momentary light affliction is the language that Paul uses to describe trials and persecution and suffering. Momentary light affliction. How can he, how can he call it that? I mean, has he been in the midst of my tribulation, my t- trial? Uh, maybe not the exact one, okay? But let me tell you, you go to Corinthians and you read what he's gone through. Oh my goodness, okay? He has figured out how to live in contentment in that place. Somehow, some way. I want to learn that. I want to learn how to navigate trials well. For the honor and glory of God. Okay? But how, 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 does, how does that happen that, that way? How, is it, how does Paul have the capability to, to see that as momentary light affliction according to this verse? How is he able to see it? Go ahead. Because he has Amen. And that plan has to do with, as he says, in, in comparison, there is no comparison with the momentary light affliction to what he calls what? The eternal weight of glory. He's got perspective got the ability to see the bigger picture. And I would suggest that perspective and context are the two key ingredients to help us navigate trials well in our life. Okay? <clears throat> our approach to trials, our approach to trials, first of all, we shouldn't be surprised when they come. Somebody turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and read that for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, something. For, maybe you were in First John. First uh, Peter 4.12, if you got that one. Okay, beloved. I love the beginning of it. <laughs> beloved. Awesomes. <laughs> Awesomes. 
uh, do not be surprised. This word surprised is the idea of do not think it's strange. Do not think it coming out of the blue. Do not think that somehow there's a, a wild electron in the universe that somehow can't be controlled by God's sovereign will. Okay? Do not think it's strange or surprised at the, quote, fiery ordeal. That's the language that Peter gives to trials. They're coming. And he says they come among you, which uh, comes upon you. Um, And he goes on to say as though some strange thing were happening to you. The idea is that somehow this is out of control. This is out of control. Somebody's not in control. I'm not in control. The situation is out of control. No. No, we're going to learn no. The answer is no. Okay, no. Um, The purpose of trials. The purpose of trials. Look in the same verse here. Um, Trials are only necessary when they serve a purpose. Trials are only necessary when they serve a purpose. Let me ask you a question. When he says trials, he uses the language. Did you see that in Peter? Uh, we'll come back to that in the verse 1. But he says what? If necessary. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's determining if it's necessary? God is. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that what I'm going through is somehow in the divine providence of God and His will for me that what I'm navigating today, that, quote, Took me by surprise is necessary in my life. One of those verses, I can't, I can't get around this. I can't get around it anyway. Trials in my life are necessary. God wouldn't have brought them there if He didn't already believe that they were. The bread and Lindsay, somehow, some way. Don't ask me the how. We won't probably know that till glory. But somehow, some way, this situation, as Brad spells out very clearly, was necessary. In their life, in the ministry's life, in what God's doing in a broader picture, what He's doing in them personally. I don't know what that is, but He is doing it because it's necessary. They serve a purpose. They are, according to verse 12 here that we're in the middle of, He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that comes upon you for your testing. What's the word testing mean? What's the word testing mean? Are you saying that God tests me? God Determined it was necessary, right? And it says that for my test. Does anybody have a different translation? Refining, okay. Does everybody say testing? Anybody say something different? Well, it sounds like testing means testing. <laughs> okay, so, so what is testing then? What does that mean? I think of what I'm baking to see if something okay <laughs> put the probe in right got to put the probe in <laughs> they really know it okay good maybe if we're repeating the same trial and situation on a regular basis that's getting at the same issues in my life maybe the fact the probe's still going in <laughs> maybe right maybe okay all right so they they are for testing they develop our character. You all know Romans 8, 28 and 29. He says that we should become what? Conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal. That's the standard. All of us here fall short. I do. Okay. So what God's doing in the fact that these trials are necessary is literally taking me to a place that becomes more like Christ. That's it. This is God's 
process of doing that. Which, by the way, according to Hebrews 12, says it's his discipline process, which we kind of cringe on, right? But I'll suggest it is what we should embrace, and we're going to find out more about that. Um, they develop our endurance. Turn to James 1. Develop our endurance. Would somebody read verses 3 through 8 of James 1? James 1, 3 through 8. Testing your faith have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But it acts wisdom, all generously, and asking faith. That man ought not to expect that he will receive us So I wish I had a little more time to kind of unpack this, but let me hit the highlights very quickly. Why is verse 4 here in in the first place? What does it follow on to? Testing. 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 Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its perfect result, its completed result, its, its, its full mature result in your life so that you lack nothing. So that you, you aren't having to continue to grow in that area specifically. Okay? And he says, um, starts with the, verse, the word and, uh, but in verse 5. It probably should say and. And if you, any of you lack wisdom, and the, and the whole point of the premise is what? Oh, and by the way, you do. And it's not just general wisdom. It's what? It's wisdom to navigate trials. Wisdom to navigate trials. I have never entered into a trial that I haven't asked God for wisdom of how to navigate that trial, and I tested that today, that he has, nev- he has, never, that he has come up wanting in my life. He has always given me the wisdom when I ask for wisdom to have wisdom to navigate well. Always. God is glorious in that way. Okay? And so if any of you lack wisdom, oh, and by the way, we do, okay, is the, is the side. Um, let him ask of God. <laughs> Why God? Because he's the one who owns wisdom. He's the giver of wisdom, according to uh, Proverbs. Who, what? Gives to all men generously without reproach. The idea without reproach is without having a bias, without receiving a face, without having somebody, you know, he, he looks at our hearts and he just says, you ask, I'm going to give you, okay? And it will be given to him. Again, not but, but and. And let him ask in faith... And here's the requirement, without doubting. Without doubting. For one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man expect to receive, that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So why is it that, how do we ask for wisdom? Without doubting. What is doubting? Lack of faith. So, let me play it out for you. Okay? I'm in the midst of a, of, of a trial and a circumstance. I ask for wisdom. And God actually answers. He, 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 he either leaves me where I'm at, He gives me clarity on how to navigate well, um, He may or may not take it away, but He actually makes it worse. Okay, so, so James, James 1 says, okay, when you've asked for wisdom and He generously gives it to you, don't for a second put yourself on the throne of judgment and judge through God's answer and your way of doing it. And, and make the call to go your way instead of his way. Don't for a second do that. Because you do that, he won't give you anymore. Because he just answered, your, answered you. He says, generously, generously, richly, he's going to give you that answer. That may not be what you prayed for, okay? but he's going to give you wisdom. How to navigate it. The outcomes are his. The purpose is his. This trial is necessary in my life. But he's the one that's going to give you wisdom. 
So don't for a second put yourself as the judge and jury of God's answer for wisdom and then go a different way. He says, don't do that. Because you then are acting as an unstable and double-minded man or woman in that you have, you're too sold. You have two souls. You have a soul here, you have a soul there. You're kind of like, you're kind of like hedging your bats. <laughs> right? Right? Don't for a second do that. Don't do that. When you ask for wisdom, take what God gives you and go. Okay? The nature of trials, the purpose of trials, they wean us from this world to focus on heaven. They wean us from this world to focus on heaven. They wean us from this world to focus on heaven. I won't turn to this one in Job, but it basically, remember, Job is in the midst of his great trial. And he says, um, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand in the latter day, and I will be with Him, and I will see Him then. So he gained great strength from what was to come in heaven um, by, by focusing there versus in his dire situation. They wean us from this world to focus on heaven. They sift and refine us. Uh, we were talking about that just a second ago. They sift and refine us. Um, turn with me to Job 5.17. Job 5.17. Job 5.17. Why don't you do 5.17 and 18, if you would, out loud? Anybody? So, so what is he, what, what's the premise of what he's saying at the beginning of verse 17? Do not what? Not despise. What does the word despise look like? What does it mean? Pardon me? Strong hatred. strong hatred. Yeah, strong hatred. How do you get to strong hatred? It's because you've looked at what's happening in your life and you are saying, I would do it differently. I would do it differently. Remember, Brad? Hey, in my own strength, I would have done this differently. But don't let me get in the way. Because God needs to be lifted up and glorious. And if I got in the way, I would have screwed it up. So we think about it in our lives. So many times we're trying to do this, do that, get out from this, get out from that, move the context around, try to figure out how this... Stop. Lean into, not away from, the hand of the Lord in this situation. Stop. God does all things well. All things well. All things well. All things well. Stop. They demonstrate the character of faith that God has developed, already developed in us. So this may not be, this trial may not be about you. It may not be about you. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? This trial may not be about you. Because you may actually have already learned and developed what God has given you, is asked you for. This trial may be about demonstrating that to somebody else, who God needs to have see how you navigate well, or what your character looks like when you're in the refiner's fire. That may be what God's doing. Okay? Somebody read 1 Peter 2.12. 1 Peter 2.12. Okay? Glorify God in the day of visitation. We could have a long conversation about what that means. Okay? But it, the whole point here is that um, they're watching. We're living in a watching world. Understand that. Okay? The next is they enable us to minister to others. Enable us to minister to others. Second Corinthians chapter one. Turn there with me. Second Corinthians chapter one. Trials enable us to minister to others. Um, somebody want to read verses three and four and five. Three, four, and five. 
Father of our Lord Jesus, all our afflictions, bear abundantly in Christ, so through Christ we need Okay? So, um, trials are... Uh, Enable us to minister to others. He says he is the God of all comfort. And the purpose of that in verse 4 is that he comforts us in so, so that we may be able to comfort others in, don't miss the word, any situation. So it doesn't have to be the same as the one you're going through. It means that you've gone through it and you know how to do it well. And now you have the ability to, com- to comfort others in the same situation and other kinds of situations that happen to be similar, maybe. Or even very different. But God gives us those to be able to comfort other people. Purpose of trials. Let's talk about the origin of trials. The origin of trials. Let me, let me suggest... Uh, so the question here is, where do, where do trials come from? Where do my trials come from? Um, God is the one who determines when. God is the one who determines what. God is the one who determines how. God is the one who, who determines how long. Because He's the one that has already determined that they're necessary. So God is the one that figures that all out. Not me. Not me. My goal is not to get out from underneath the trial. My goal is to go through the trial well. In a biblical way. Period. Every time I try to get out from underneath the trial, I would suggest my heart is taking me to a place that is probably not helping me. And it's not like we don't want to be in there. I get it. We all have natural reasons for it, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about how do we then... Respond right and think right to the situations. Okay? They originate from God's will for my life. They originate from God's will for my life. Yeah. I think that's a great way, great comment. Loving will. You know, we said it's good, right? Yeah. I think that's a great ad. And, and the second one here is that trials are completely within God's sovereignty. If we haven't figured that out as of right now, I hope you have, based on what we've talked about so far. And also our talk, if you remember, when we entered into Peter about the sovereignty of God, how the sovereignty of God is glorious. It's amazing. It's like it's a, it, it gives us great peace to live in the midst of it um, and that he's good. Okay. Um, the impact of trials, they're going to cause distress. They're going to cause distress. Philippians 4.13, don't, you don't have to move there, but he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he says, on one hand, these trials are causing me stress and pain, distress and pain. I love this the distress index, right? <laughs> Up there. Uh, but, but Distress and pain. But on the other hand, he says what? I'll be with you. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can, ha- you can bear up. You can bear under. God is, God is going to... Be, be your strength in the midst of. Okay? Trials bring trouble, which brings pain. This pain might not, might, may not only be, be physical, but also mental pain. Every one of us know that almost invariably these trials bring us anguish, sorrow, um, disappointment, um, anxiety, um, fear, um, all of the above. But, but I would suggest those are actually smoking out the problem of our heart. Yeah. They're smoking out the root cause of what's happening in our heart. Our feelings are connected to our heart. How our feelings go tell us how our heart's going. So be careful there to understand that that's a, I'll use it, the idiot light of my soul. Okay? Because those things are going red, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow. And if I draw the lines and ask enough whys, what? It actually comes back to my heart. (laughs) Where's my heart in the middle of it? Right? You know, Paul, when he, when he was faced with this, with his uh, thorn in the flesh, he said, you know, I, I, I've been 
I've, I've learned how to deal with these things, that the grace of God would be multiplied in my life. Because His grace is what? Sufficient for me. Period. Not just in this situation, but in all situations. His grace is sufficient. Types of trials. Trials come in various forms with wide diversity. Various forms with wide diversity. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 2. James 1, verse 2. He says... Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Various trials. Trials are polka-dotted. Polka-dotted and manifold. Polka-dotted. What do I mean by polka-dotted? What I mean by that is that that's what that word means. (laughs) The word various means polka-dotted. Or it comes from that. It's the idea of they're all over. There's many kinds, many colors, okay, Uh, many sizes, if we were to talk about these as far as colors being the strength of these things in our lives, right? The sizes being big or small, right? And, and the kinds as being various. The kinds happen to, interestingly enough, aggregate up into two main kinds of things that God actually is at work in our lives to, 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 to cause trials. Those two things are, first and foremost, situations or circumstances. And number two, challenging relationships with other people. Challenging relationships with other people. Those are the two kind of aggregated kinds of things, called various, that God is working in my life uh, to, to change me. Various. Okay? Next, I want to turn to um, our response to trials. Our response to trials. I, I, I almost called it our attitude in trials. Our attitude in trials. So he says, in this, in this, what is this um, here? that he's referring to at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 6a. He says, In this you greatly rejoice. What is the, what's the this? Pardon me? Uh, look, at your, look, at your, look at your section there. It starts the whole passage on trials, so it can't be trials. But you know what? That's what we've talked about so far, is like in this is trials. What, what else could it be? Pardon me? Yeah, it is our living hope. Yeah, verse three. He says, um, uh, he says that right there. He says, uh, cause us, cause us to be born again to a quote living hope. That this that he's referring back to, and this you greatly rejoice. So he's not saying rejoice in your trials. Do you get that? I mean, somebody could walk away from what we've talked about so far and say, hey, rejoice in your trials. No, the whole reason why Dave set the stage and, and laid the groundwork was that in this is our living hope. Is that our living hope is this that we greatly rejoice in in the midst of great trials? That's the difference here, and um, um, that, that's important to understand. It is our future, our secure, our confident, and protected inheritance. Protected inheritance. He calls this five things, five pillars that uphold this living hope. First of all, in verse four, it's it's imperishable. He says. It's imperishable. What does imperishable mean? It's unable to, to be destroyed. Second is that it's undefiled. It's undefiled. It's, it can't be stained. We didn't come about it illegally. Um, third is that it will not fade away. It will not fade away. It cannot wither. It's in a, it's in a season of, of spring perpetually into the future. Can't fade away um, uh, by, through weather or drought. 
And last but not least, or excuse me, uh, fourth is reserved in heaven for us, he says. It's reserved in heaven for us. And fifth is that it will be revealed in the last time. It's complete. And the great news is it's imminent. It's like right there. You know, it's right there. And uh, ready to be revealed in, in the last days, in the latter time. Last time. Uh, uh, Michael's going to talk more about that this morning. Last time. So when we talk about our response to trials, a couple things. First of all, he says, you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Peter means by this, by this greatly rejoice, he means to exalt or make glorious in our trials. Um, it would be translated uh, to be exceedingly glad. Exceedingly glad. Um, interesting enough, it is a present tense verb. So his challenge to us in that in this we greatly rejoice in the midst of our trials is a present tense word. It means that we would be continually and uh, be supremely and abundantly happy in the midst of that situation. Not because of the situation, but because of, of our great uh, living hope that we have. Okay? Um, how does one experience joy in the face of trials and suffering then? How does one do this? This is not natural, right? Some thoughts? How does one do this? Don't you love that picture? <laughs> the top right one. It's like, whoa! <laughs> We're on a ride of a lifetime! <laughs> we sort of talked about it once before. Instead of keeping your eyes so narrowly focused on our, our eyes focused on the, the this. Yeah, on the this. In, hope, like in, in this. Beyond this. Yes. To yes. Yes. Not think of it this, but remember that. I think that's the fundamental point here. It is a living hope. It's secure. It's confident. It's laid up before us. It is, it is ready to be revealed. It is all of the above. And I would suggest that is the premise that Peter lays out for the people in verses 3 through 5 that he's writing to because verses 6 through 9 are coming. In this, you what? How do we navigate? Greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice in this. Not the trials. Living hope. What else? Days and days. Our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy of Him endured us. I mean, that's what He did. He even gave thanks exactly. to for what was to come and the outcome. And um, that's the that's greater our... picture is to keep focused on where Jesus Amen. Was, you know. How he endured and how he progressed through it. It's, and that's tough. And it's interesting. He says, um, you have need of endurance. <laughs> and that's why to do that. And all of us have need of endurance, don't we, in the midst of the... I, I, I do. I do. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Bear up underneath. Be strong. Okay. Well, how, how one does it? Let me suggest our joy is not based on our circumstances or feelings. Not based on our circumstances or feelings. Um, so, it's anchored in a deep and abiding, uh, I'll call it spiritual confidence in God and God alone. It's anchored in God. It's anchored in God. Not here. There. Not us. Him. That's how it's anchored. Um, it's realized as an act of our will. What does James say right there to the right? Consider it all joy. The word all is there is pure joy. Consider it Pure joy when you what encounter various trials in your life. Well, how do you do that? You can't be looking at the trial. You have to be looking at God. You have to be looking at what He's laid up before us for that. Act of our will is not our feelings. It's our will. Second is we realize that when we trust and uh, our joy is realized when we trust and obey. 
God. It's realized when we trust and obey God. Turn with me to Hebrews 10, verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. I'm going to read this for us. Will people get there? Hebrews 10, 32. He says, he's writing to his readers, he says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. That's what was going on with the Hebrews. Great conflict of suffering. So much so that they were being um, encouraged to go back to Judaism. And that Jesus Christ was not enough. They were losing their jobs, they were losing their families, they were losing their homes, they were losing their community, everything. The question on the table is, is Jesus Christ worth everything? That's, that's the whole book of Hebrews. And it comes back in a glorious way. Jesus, God is sovereign, God is, God is supreme, and Jesus Christ is sufficient. Amen. He's sufficient. He's sufficient. Verse 33, partly be, by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming, quote, sharers of those who were so treated. Verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully. There's that word joyfully. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves what? A better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. There it is again. So that you may, so when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Verse 37, Don't forget for a second that yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and he will not delay. Our hope is built in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back and that God sees everything, God remembers everything, and God rewards everything in our life. Don't forget that for a second. He sees everything, He remembers everything, He rewards everything. Even my decision to how I'm going to navigate this this trial well. He sees it. Our joy is derived from the Lord. Psalm 4, verse 7. Psalm 4, verse 7 says, Psalm 4, verse 7 says, You have put gladness in my heart more than when when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. So God is the one who puts gladness in our heart. He is the one that puts joy in our heart. So it is derived from the Lord. And not only is it derived from the Lord, but it is our strength. Remember our, our study on Nehemiah? What does it say? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't forget that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why should we fight for joy? Why should we be impassioned and emblazoned about, about not letting the thief steal our joy? It's because of that. It is the strength of our souls. It's the strength of our hearts. It gives us the ability to do it well. Um, not only is our joy um, derived from the Lord, but it's also because of who He is. Psalm 43, verse 4. Psalm 43, verse 4. Would somebody read that one out loud? Psalm 43, 4. Yeah, I, I love... This. Was it Psalm 140? What was the one you gave me? You see, you put it on Facebook? 141 or something like that. I think it is 145. Uh, I will praise Him in the midst of the congregation of the, of, of the righteous, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so how powerful is that? That we that, that, that our our joy is derived from the Lord and it's because of who He is, not because of what we're going through or, or anything else. Yeah, our joy is affirmed when we worship with all our heart. Psalm ninety two. Uh, Psalm not, Psalm nine verse two. Um, Psalm nine verse two. Somebody got that one? Read it out loud. Amen. I will be glad. I will exalt in, in you. 
I will sing praises to your name most high. Isn't it amazing that we, when we submit our hearts in the midst of trials and tribulation, that God does His work in our hearts and our souls to the extent that we, in the midst of it still yet, we will praise Him. I find that just utterly amazing. It's just amazing. But God's getting, God gets the glory then, doesn't He? Gets the glory. Um, and last but not least... Our joy is cultivated when we live in purity and integrity. Psalm 32, verse 11. Somebody got that one and read it out loud. 32, 11. Glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Okay, be glad. How? In the Lord. In the Lord. And rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright of heart. This idea of shout for joy, I don't know whether you know it or not, it's the, it's the victory cry. It's a victory cry. It's like, we won. We are winning. We will win. What a great con- way, way to close our time out. Um, to know that God wins, and therefore we can be in the midst of great trials and persecution. We can understand the nature of what we're going through in a biblical way. It's the true nature of the trial and tribulation. And because of that, we can respond biblically. Uh, in our lives, respond biblically in our lives. Um, Sandy, would you mind closing us in prayer? Amen. Amen. Go in the strength and joy of the Lord. Have a great day.